Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled "The Doubting Disciple" from our series "Flawed Followers." Thank God for His presence among us today. If you have your Bible, I'm in John 20 today. John 20 today. I feel a great urgency to preach the message that God has laid on my heart today. I don't know exactly which one of you it's for, but I have no doubt in my mind the Lord has given me this word for this morning. And I know that there are some here who wrestle with these things. And I want today you to hear what God's word would have to say to you today. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to address you by his word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, if you're in John 20, beginning in verse 19, will be our text today. You know, on Easter, we celebrated our risen Lord who reigns from heaven, who has all power and all authority. And you might think when you read the Bible that you would be as impressed with his followers as you are with Jesus. But you would be disappointed if you thought that was the case. It always amazes me even today how that people misjudge Jesus because of some of his followers. Amen. I read a great quote from Bill Russell this week, and it simply said, just because someone plays Beethoven badly doesn't mean Beethoven is a bad composer. (laughs) If you've ever been to a third grade piano recital, you know what I mean by that, right? Just because someone plays Beethoven badly is no reflection on Beethoven. Friend, just because someone lives the Christian life poorly doesn't mean Christ is not worthy to be followed. Amen. Jesus never said follow people. He said follow me. Amen. So today we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus. We look at his followers flawed from the beginning. Wrestling with doubt and fear and discouragement. Last week we looked at Peter the denying disciple. And many of us resonate with him. Impulsive, hot-headed, always putting his foot in his mouth. A man who deeply loved Jesus and failed him greatly, but recovered and went on to live a fruitful life of service and discipleship. For many of us, though, there's another man in the Easter story with whom we resonate, and his name is Thomas. And he's been labeled the Doubting Disciple, right? Doubting Thomas. What a sorry name to be labeled with for the rest of your life. Amen? It's just proof that sometimes in the church you can make one mistake and they'll never let you live it down, right? Hmm. Because the truth is, there's much more to Thomas than his momentary failure. He went on to live a life of service for the Lord. And that ought to be commended. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Amen. For many of us, though, Thomas is one we resonate with. While the others seem quickly convinced that Jesus is risen from the dead, Thomas is reluctant. He's skeptical. He wrestles with this idea. He's not hasty to believe it. He is reluctant and insists on seeing the hard evidence for himself before jumping on the bandwagon. We find the story in John 20, beginning in the 19th verse. If you found it, say amen. Hear the word of the Lord today, John 20, verse 19. Then the same day, what day is that? This is Easter. This is the Sunday that Jesus rose. That same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Say he was not with them. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26, And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And his people said, Amen. Some of us struggle with this idea of believing, amen, especially when the story sounds too good to be true. Uh, a few Sunday nights ago, I told the story of a little boy named Johnny, and Johnny was having trouble telling the truth, and so his teacher thought that she would get through to him one morning, and she came to him, and she said, Johnny, I want to tell you a story, and she looked at Johnny and said, Johnny, this morning on my way to school, I was driving here, and a bear met me in the middle of the road. Do you believe that? He said, wow, that's amazing. He said, yes, the bear was blocking both lanes of the road. And then let me tell you what happened, Johnny. A little dog about this high came running out, and he grabbed that bear by the nose, and he flung him this way, and he rolled him that way, and then the bear got up and ran off, and the dog took off just behind him. He said, Johnny, can you believe that? Johnny said, yes, ma'am, I can. That was my dog. Sometimes the story is just a little too good to be true, isn't it? All of us have been burned in life by stories that prove not to be true. All of us have learned to be cautious, haven't we? You know the old, old statement, right? Once bitten, twice shy. Or the other old phrase my daddy's favorite was, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, Shame on me, right? It's my fault if I get taken in more than once by the same deception. And so here we are. Without, without struggling with doubt, we often miss the truth. Doubt can keep us from getting hurt. But if we're not careful, doubt can also keep us from being blessed. Amen? We can miss out on something good and right and true. Doubt is a common occurrence for us. And all four Gospels remind us even the original disciples wrestled with doubt. Did you know that? Did you know that it wasn't just Thomas? Thomas takes the heat. He's the one that gets labeled the doubter, but he's not the only one who doubted. In fact, all four Gospels tell us this. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. You don't have to turn. I'll put it on the screen for you. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven went away into Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but what? But some 
doubted. Do you see it? Even among the original 11, several of them were just not quite sure that they believed this or not. Mark 16, on that very first Easter morning, the Bible says, And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Do you see it? In fact, when Jesus shows up, he's not okay with this. Later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Matthew says it, Mark says it, Luke says it, Luke 24. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. All the disciples, they wrestled with this. They struggled with, could this possibly be true? Could Jesus really be alive from the dead? It seems so incredible. Have you ever struggled with questions about the resurrection of Jesus? Have you ever wondered, is it really believable? Perhaps you've never been brave enough to admit it because you were raised in a Christian family. Maybe you've never left the church, but in your heart and in your mind, you've really wondered, is this believable? Can it really be true? And is it okay even to acknowledge or admit that I've had doubts about this question? I want to tell you, I would have a problem with you if you had never had questions. I would be more concerned if you had never wrestled with a difficult question. I would have more trouble if you'd just taken it for granted and never really investigated it for yourself. Sooner or later, we have to come to the place where we don't just believe because grandma believed or mom and dad believed, but it must become our faith. We must believe the gospel. We must become convinced in our own hearts and minds that it is true. And so if you've never wrestled with it, you ought to. Amen. Say, wow, I can't believe the pastor just gave us permission to question the greatest truth that lies at the center of the Christian faith. I want you to question it because it can stand up to the scrutiny of your investigation. If you will do your homework, you will find there is good reason to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. This can bear the honest inquiry of any man or woman who wonders, is it really true that Jesus rose from the dead? Yes, it is. And I invite you to investigate the question. Amen? But if you struggle with doubt about this, you're not alone. So did the original followers of Jesus. We just read they're very honest about the fact that even his own inner circle was slow to believe and hard to convince that Christ had risen from the dead. Jesus spent the next 40 days appearing to them proving to them that it really was him and that it wasn't just a spirit but that he was in the body he let he showed them his hands and feet he offered for them to touch him Mary Magdalene actually grips him around the feet as she worships him to see that it is him flesh and bone the Bible says he ate fish on one occasion not because he was hungry but to prove to them that he was physically there and they weren't seeing a ghost or having a hallucination now I hear people who say well, pastor, you don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, do you? It was just a mass hallucination. There's no such thing as a mass hallucination. There's no such thing. A hallucination is a very individual, private experience. It's something that you have. But even if everyone in the room is hallucinating, they're not all seeing the same things. If you don't believe me, I've got some friends that have been high on some good stuff before, and they'll tell you nobody sees the same thing. 
Amen. A hallucination is a very private experience. It's not a shared experience. Amen. You may be seeing blue monkeys and he may be seeing striped elephants, but you're not seeing the same thing. If they saw Jesus alive all in the same room, you can rest assured they weren't, their mind wasn't playing tricks on them. They didn't have too much wine. They weren't under the influence. They saw it because it was really there. Amen. Oh, the disciples just stole the body. Then why cowering in fear in the upper room? These guys who were shaking in their boots, Peter who denied he knew him to stay out of jail, and they're suddenly going to find their courage and go break in a tomb and knock off some Roman guards and steal the body? you got to be kidding me. you got the wrong group of guys. They lost their nerve before he even made it to the cross. Hmm. <laughs> steal the body. you got to be kidding me. You've got more faith than I do. <laughs> That's not believable. Oh, well, somebody stole the body. Well, if they'd stole the body, they could have produced the body. Somebody could have discovered the evidence. And even if they stole the body, that doesn't explain the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. It doesn't fit the bill, guys. It doesn't. The dog won't hunt. Hear me today. You and I need to understand that the Bible is pretty clear to us that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and we can trust in that we can rest in that amen 40 days he appeared to them listen to what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians 15 verse, verse 3 for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures look at verse 5 don't miss it and that he was seen say he was seen he was seen by Cephas that's Peter then by the twelve Pastor, wait a minute. Judas wasn't with them. Matthias replaces Judas, and he is among the 12 that Paul is referring to here. Verse 6, after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. What does he say? He says, the disciples saw him. Not only did his immediate followers see him, over 500 saw him at one time at his ascension. All of them were not deceived or deluded. Then he gives us an interesting piece here. It says, and he appeared to James. Say James. What you may not know about James is this. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And up until the resurrection, James was not a believer in Jesus. He was not a follower of Jesus. He did not trust Christ. He and his other siblings came to get Jesus while he was preaching and drag him home because they thought he'd lost his mind when he claimed to be the Son of God and the Messiah of Israel. James was not a believer. He was not a Christian. And yet, when you get to the end of the New Testament, James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He wrote the book of James that you have in the back of your New Testament. Testament. How did he go from being an agnostic to being an apostle and a believer and a pastor of the church in Jerusalem? I'll tell you why. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to James and James had his eyes open. And if anybody knew Jesus, it was James. He grew up in the house with him. And if anyone knew that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, it was his half-brother James. And James is converted and goes into the ministry because he's met the risen Christ. 
Pastor, I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm not bothered by the simple doubt of an open mind. Any honest seeker who exercises caution and examines the claims of Christ and the historical evidence of our faith encourages me. Paul said that God's desire for us is that we would seek the Lord in hope that we might grope after Him and lay hold of Him because He's not far from any of us. If you'll reach out for God, if you'll feel after God, God will put Himself in the way of your reaching. He'll make sure you find Him if you really want to find him everyone who seeks finds you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart if you really want to know God you'll end up a Christian I have no doubt about that if you really want to know the truth we will baptize you one Sunday very soon I am quite sure of that how do you know because Jesus said that Jesus said it. Jesus said, I am the light that gives light to every man who comes into the world. And whoever lives by the truth comes into my light. John 3 and 21. So if you're seeking after truth, it's just a matter of time. Your days are numbered. We'll keep the water warm in the baptistry for you. I'm telling you, Jesus is the truth. And if you're seeking the truth, you will end up at the foot of the cross one day soon. Amen. I have no doubt about that. I'm not worried about you if you're an honest seeker. I want us to follow Thomas' example this morning, and I want us to ask what did he get wrong and what did he get right on this journey? Because he obviously made some mistakes, but then he recovered. Amen? Anybody made some mistakes? Anybody want to recover? Follow along. What did he get wrong? Number one, he didn't believe Christ's own words. He didn't believe the words of Jesus. You see, the first problem with Thomas disbelieving the resurrection was this. Jesus had predicted his own resurrection. How could Thomas have missed this? It came out of his own mouth. Jesus said himself that he would rise from the dead. In Mark the 8th chapter, we find these words in verse 31. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Mark chapter 8, there it is. Not only had Thomas seen the proof that Jesus was the Son of God, he had heard him predict his own death. In John 2, 19, Jesus told his opponents, destroy this temple, speaking of his body. He says, destroy it and I'll raise it up in three days. Jesus was predicting his death and his resurrection. Jesus gave the sign of Jonah. He said... Jonah, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth, and on the third day he will rise again. Wow. So Thomas didn't believe the words of Jesus. Like the rest of the disciples, he seemed to be out to lunch when Jesus made these predictions. When we read the Gospels, it seems like the cross and the resurrection caught them completely off guard. I wonder if the same thing won't be true when Jesus comes back one day. All these people who've heard it preached their whole life, who say they believe it, who sung about it, who read about it, and yet when the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised and the sky parts and Jesus raises his church up to be with him forever, there are going to be many people who are shocked and caught off guard. Hmm. People turn on their television set and watch all the mess happening in Syria and eat Pop-Tarts and Pop-Popcorn and act like nothing's going on. My God, the Bible says you better look up because your redemption draws nigh. Pay attention. Lord have mercy. But people will be caught off guard when Jesus comes back because they're not ready because they say they are but they're not really expecting him to come again. 
they'll be caught off guard because they don't really take his words seriously. Wow. What did Thomas get wrong? He didn't believe his own Jesus' own words. Number two, he didn't receive Jesus' first visit. He missed when Christ showed up to visit his disciples. Verse 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Do you see it? He wasn't there. My question is, why not? Why wasn't he there? All the other disciples were there. They were gathered. They were sharing notes. They were trying to encourage one another. They were trying to be a strength and a blessing to one another. Where is Thomas? He's laying out of church. That's where he is. That's what happens to some people when they get discouraged. That's what happens to some people when things don't go the way they hoped they would. The first thing they do is they get sour toward God and they start laying out of church and they go back to the house. Mm. Yep, that's what happens. And so where is he? He ought to have been with the rest of the disciples. And you know what? Because he out of church, he missed it when Jesus showed up. Hallelujah. Being part of a spirit-filled church because you never know what's going to happen on any service. Amen. I don't, you don't know if the preacher's going to preach or if he's not going to preach. You don't know if the Spirit of God's going to fall while the choir's singing. You don't know if God's going to speak through a message in tongues. You don't know if the altar service is going to break and people are going to get saved and healed. You never know what's going to happen in a spirit-filled church. All you know is you don't want to miss a service because God could do anything, anytime. Amen. Amen. I wouldn't be part of a boring, dead, dry church for anything in, my, in this world. Have mercy. Not when there are places where the Spirit of God has the sovereignty to come and do what He wants to do. Amen? Hear me today. Verse 20 says, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The disciples, the other ten, they're shouting, they're rejoicing, they're celebrating. All week long after that, they're looking at one another going, can you believe it? He walked right into the room. We saw him. He has conquered death. He really is who he says he is. Everything he ever said was true. Oh, glory to God. And they're shouting and they're running and they're rejoicing and they've got their confidence back. And old Thomas is sitting at home, depressed, moping, down in the dumps. Why? Because he missed church last Sunday. That's why. <laughs> Don't lay out of church. If you give up Sunday, you forfeit your own blessing. You throw away your own gift. Amen? Amen. Lord, help us today. What a miserable week he must have had. They're rejoicing and he's dejected. They're singing and he's sighing. Amen. They're making music and he's moping. <laughs> Don't make that mistake. Be faithful to God's house unless you're hindered by sickness or circumstances you cannot control. Amen? By the way, we greet our live stream viewers. Thank you for being with us today. Amen. Number three, he didn't respect Christ's eyewitnesses. He didn't respect them. He didn't listen to the testimony of the men whom he should have believed. And Jesus had a problem with that. Jesus took issue with it. Verse 25 says, The other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said back to them, Unless I see the wounds, unless I put my finger into the print of the nails, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. They had a problem. 
Not only had Thomas been with Jesus for the last three years, he'd also been with these men for the last three years. And he knew that they were reliable witnesses. He knew they would never lie to him. He knew they were not pulling his leg. He had no reason to doubt their credibility or to deny their testimony. They had heard his teachings and witnessed his miracles. They had seen him crucified and buried just like Thomas had done. He knew they were trustworthy men. These these reliable eyewitnesses had seen the risen Lord with their own eyes and Thomas should have believed their report but he did not and this was the biggest problem of all the biggest problem wasn't that he missed the previous Sunday the biggest problem wasn't that he missed Jesus prediction the biggest problem was he refused to believe the testimony of reliable eyewitnesses who'd met Jesus after his resurrection why is this the biggest one? Because this is the one you and I must wrestle with. This is the trap you and I are most likely to fall into if we're not careful. This is the mistake that can cost you your soul right here. Not believing the testimony of those who saw Jesus when he rose from the dead. What do you mean, Pastor? Many will say, Pastor, you're being too hard on Thomas. After all, he only asked to see the same hard evidence that they had all experienced. But that is not true. Thomas didn't ask for what they got. He insisted on more than what they received. The Bible says they saw the Lord. Say they saw him. Thomas wasn't going to be satisfied to see him. Thomas said, unless I see and unless I put this finger into the nail holes and unless I put this hand into the spear wound, I will not believe. Wow. He's not asking for the same encounter. He's asking for even more evidence than they experienced on the meeting the previous week. The problem is not that Thomas had doubts. The problem was this. It's not simple doubt. It's stubborn unbelief. He refuses to believe even when he has good reason to believe. He won't trust in the resurrection of Jesus even though all the evidence is pointing the direction. And he should trust. Wow. Notice Jesus never says to him, stop doubting. What Jesus says to him when he appears to him is, do not be unbelieving but believe. He doesn't say stop doubting. He says don't be unbelieving. What difference does that make? Well, in the Greek, they're two different words and they mean two different things. Doubt means I want to believe, but I've got my, I'm skeptical about it. I've got some issues. I have some questions that need to be answered. Doubt is what the man struggled with when Jesus offered to heal his son and he said, Sir, do you believe? And the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's expressing a doubt there. Lord, I need some help. I want to believe, but I need you to get me over the hump here. What Thomas is declaring in this verse is something quite different. I will not trust Jesus unless God does it exactly according to my terms. You met people like that? Some of you may be people like that. You have this list in your mind, and if God would check the boxes and do it just like you require, then you say, I would become a Christian and I would sign up to believe. Well, I want to tell you the chances are then you will never become a Christian. And you will die in your sin. And you will stand before God. And you will not be excused because God didn't meet your checklist. No. You will be guilty before God and you will lose out for eternity because you didn't believe the reliable testimony of the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive from the dead and their message was preached to you from this pulpit. 
Amen. If you don't plan on getting saved, you ought to run out of here right now. Because the longer I preach, the more accountable you get to God. The longer I stand in this pulpit and you sit in this pew, the more you are making yourself accountable before God on the day of judgment. You may only hear it once, but when you walk out of here at 12 o'clock and head to the chicken place, you're going to be guilty and culpable before God because you will have heard the gospel of Jesus coming from this pulpit. To whom much is given, much will be required. God demands that we walk in all the life that we have received. Thomas doesn't say, I'm doubting. He says, I will not believe. It's a double negative in the Greek. Ooh, may. I will not, no, not ever believe unless God does it exactly like I require him to do it. That's why some people aren't in church today. That's why some people aren't in the house of God today. They set up some false list, and God didn't meet the list, and they think they're off the hook. Well, God didn't heal my baby when I prayed. God didn't give me the job like I asked him to. God didn't come through on my timetable. God didn't check my boxes. Where was God when my son died? He was the same place he was when his son died. He was the same place he was when my daughter died. And I I'm still standing up here preaching about him. I want to tell you, you've got to make up your mind. Make up your mind. God is God and I am not. And I don't get to make a list for him to check. I don't get to set up the terms of the covenant. I don't get to lay out conditions that he must meet in order for me to believe in him. God has given us hard evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's Lord of all, that he's the judge of the universe, and you'll stand before him one day. Are you ready for that encounter? The only way to be ready is to trust in Jesus. What did Thomas get wrong? He didn't believe the testimony of the men. He should have believed. And Jesus called him out on it too in verse 29. He said, Thomas, you've seen me and because of that you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Why does that matter? Because that's the condition all of us are in today. Unless you surprise me today, none of us have ever had a physical encounter with the resurrected Lord. None of us have ever seen him in the flesh and touched him and handled him like the disciples did after the resurrection. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said we are expected to believe not because we've seen, but because we've heard the testimony of reliable eyewitnesses. Well, Pastor, how do you know they were reliable? Well, I'll tell you how I know they were reliable. They were reliable because every one of them, minus one, gave their life rather than deny that the resurrection was true. What transforms a group of men shaking in their shoes, cowering in fear for their lives into bold proclaimers of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus? Only one thing. It had to be true. It had to be real. Chuck Colson said Watergate convinced him that the resurrection was true. He said, I watched 10 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for two weeks. He said, and you want to tell me these 12 men kept a lie for the next 30 years when they were tortured and murdered for preaching the the message of Jesus? Oh, no, no. Chuck Colson said, I have no doubt in my mind the resurrection is true because the disciples were willing to lay down their lives preaching the message of Jesus' resurrection. Amen. 
What did Jesus expect of Thomas? The same thing he expects of me and you when we're confronted by the testimony in the New Testament of the apostles who met Jesus after he rose from the dead. He expects us to believe the message. He expects us to trust the gospel. Verse 31 tells us what he expects. John said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Jesus makes it clear he's not going to check our boxes, meet our criteria, or jump through our hoops. But if we want to believe the gospel, we have good reason to believe it because of the reliable testimony of eyewitnesses. Well, I've wore Thomas out enough on what he got wrong. Let's talk about what he got right real quick. Number one, what did he get right? Well, number one, he returned to the fellowship. He came back to church. If you're here today, thank God. You're in the place you ought to be. If you're watching by live stream, thank God you tuned in. You need to be tuned in. You need to be hearing the message today. You need to be doing all you can to stay connected to the fellowship. It matters today. Thomas did not declare his faith in the risen Christ just yet. But it is interesting to me that the next Sunday, guess where Thomas is? He's with the others. <laughs> he's not convinced yet, but he's with them. He's in the house. And what happens on that next Sunday evening? Jesus appears to them again. Just like he did the week before. And this time, Thomas is present. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them. Say, Thomas with them. Thomas came back to church. He's present. And Jesus walks into the room, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, the Bible says. Jesus could have paid Thomas a personal visit. Jesus could have walked into Thomas's bedroom and revealed himself to him. Jesus could have walked into Thomas's house and said, "Let me convince you of the evidence." But Jesus didn't do it. What did Jesus do? He met with the disciples who gathered to worship him. He met with the company of his disciples. Oh, if God is real, then he'll meet me on my own terms and introduce himself to me. Really? He didn't do that to Thomas. He expected Thomas to be with the other disciples. He expected Thomas to show up at church. Hmm. There's a great message here about the means of grace. Number one, there's a great message about the Lord's Day. He shows up on two Sundays in the row. Why do we come to church on Sunday? Because Jesus went to church on Sunday. Is that good enough for you? <laughs> Why do we believe that it's so important? Hear me. Because Jesus has promised us to meet us, but he's told us where he would meet us. And we can't complain about not having an encounter with Jesus if we're not showing up where he promised to show up. Hmm. What do you mean, Pastor? Let me make it clear today. Jesus didn't pay Thomas a private visit. He shouldn't have to. He promised to meet his gathered followers. And if Thomas wants to experience Jesus, then he's expected to be present when the disciples gather. He gives us a lesson about the means of grace. God has prescribed certain ways in which he will meet us with his presence and his power. Don't tell me that you can't hear from God when your Bible's been closed for a month and I could write my name in the dust on the cover. You're not going to hear from God. Don't tell me that you can't feel God's presence and you won't pray for five minutes and push past the dullness of your own flesh until you can actually get into God's presence and feel Him. Hmm. 
Don't tell me how discouraged you are if you have forsaken the public assembly of God's people who gather weekly to worship Him in spirit and in truth when you're able to be here if you wanted to be here. It's quiet in the holiness church this morning. What did Thomas get right? He returned to the fellowship. Say he returned. Number two, he received a personal encounter. Say he received. Now listen to me today. When when he came back to church, guess who he encountered? He encountered Jesus. Jesus showed up and as soon as Jesus walked in the room, he pointed his finger at Thomas and said, hey, you come here. Wow. Don't you love that? Jesus didn't shy away from it. Jesus didn't ignore it. (laughs) Jesus called him out on it and said, hey, you come here. Rolled up his sleeves and said, check it out. Do not be unbelieving. I'm inviting you to believe, Thomas. Come and see that it is true. Come and see that it is real. Verse 27, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas was commissioned to be original apostles. He needed to have this encounter. He was expected to be one of the original 12 eyewitnesses. He had to be able to say he had encountered the risen Christ in the flesh in order to fulfill his job assignment as an apostle. He required this encounter. Say he required it. Now some of us are here today and they say, well pastor, I'm just requiring the same thing Thomas did. One problem, you're not an apostle. You're not one of the original 12 who have to have a physical encounter with a resurrected Jesus in order to do your job. Which means you're probably not going to get such an encounter. You shouldn't need to have one. Wow. There you go trying to be God again. (laughs) Instead of taking Jesus on his own terms and believing the message of reliable eyewitnesses like Thomas who were convinced of his coming again. You and I are in a different position. We're expected to believe the gospel based on the apostles' testimony. And yet, say and yet, there is something about this that strikes me. While it is not true for us in a physical way, can I tell you it is true for us in a spiritual way? Every man or woman who becomes a Christian does so at the end of the day because they had a personal encounter with Jesus. Not physically, but spiritually. Every one of us who've ever become a Christian became a believer, not just because we heard a message from a pulpit, but because we heard the voice of the Son of God speaking into our heart, laying His hand on our shoulder. I want to tell you the night that I got saved, it wasn't because the preacher preached. It was because the Holy Ghost showed up and touched my heart. The night that I got saved, I don't remember five words that came out of the preacher's mouth. But I remember when we stood and we sang the hymn of invitation, all of a sudden something got a hold of me. And I felt something grip my heart and the lights went on in my soul. And I knew that I was a sinner and I knew that Jesus was the only Savior and that if I was going to miss heaven, heaven I was going to have to surrender my life to him and I hit the altar that night and I cried and I repented and I said God I'll take Jesus for mine and by the time the preacher got to me and said can I pray with you I said no sir I don't need anybody to pray with me Jesus me here I know that my sins are forgiven and I know that it's under the blood tonight (laughs) 
I'm not saved because somebody talked me into it. I'm saved because I had an encounter with the risen Savior. I'm saved because the Spirit of Jesus walked into a little holiness church one Sunday night and laid his hand on my heart and I heard his voice. Jesus said in John 5, there'll come a day when the dead hear his voice. I want to tell you, he's not just talking about the end of time at the resurrection. If you are ever raised from your sins, if you're ever brought out of the, your, the deadness of your sin, if you ever come alive, if you're ever born again, it's going to be because you sat in a service and heard not the preacher, but you heard the voice of the Son of God speaking into your dead heart. And faith wakes up, and your dead heart wakes up, and you trust Jesus because Jesus walked by and laid his hand on you. Have you had an encounter with the risen Christ today? You can. Stay around long enough and you will. When Jesus went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2, Peter says, The greatest proof that Jesus rose from the dead is not an empty tomb. The greatest proof that Jesus rose from the dead, Peter said, is that he has gone back to heaven and poured out his spirit on his church. How do you know that Jesus rose from the dead, Pastor? Have you been to Israel and looked inside a tomb? I don't have to go to Israel and look inside an empty tomb. You don't have to show me where he is not. I know where he is. Hallelujah. I don't have to go to Jerusalem. I've been in the church house. And I know that when his people gather in his name, he shows up in the midst of them and he walks the aisles and he comes and he speaks and he moves and he heals and he saves and he delivers and he works in the midst of his people. Someone asked the old African-American preacher, how do you know Jesus is alive? He said, because I spoke with him this morning. That's how I know he's alive. The hymn writer said, he lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Christians know it's true because they've met him alive from the dead. They know he's not locked in a grave. They know that he's alive. Hear me today, if you're skeptical about the Christian faith, I challenge you to do two things. Number one, keep examining the claims. Say, examine the claims. Keep looking at the claims. Read some good books. Get some answers to your questions and strengthen your faith. And number two, keep attending church. Say, keep going to church. Why? Because if Christ shows up when his people gather, and if you'll keep coming, he will meet you here and he will change you. Come, feel his presence. See him change people's lives. Witness him moving through the gifts of the Spirit when his people gather in worship. In a spiritual sense, no one becomes a Christian without a personal encounter with Jesus. Hmm. What did he do? Number three, and finally, he recovered his faith fully. Say he recovered. Yeah, I love this. He returned, he received, he recovered. Verse 28, when Jesus makes him the offer, come and touch my wounds. It's interesting to me that the Bible doesn't ever say Thomas does it. I saw some paintings as I was researching this week, this, this sermon, and there's a famous painting by an Italian author, and it shows the finger of Thomas in the wound of Jesus. The painter painted it that way, but the Bible doesn't tell it that way. Jesus made him the offer, but the Bible doesn't ever record Thomas taking him up on it. In fact, what we do find Thomas doing is not putting his finger in the wound, we find Thomas falling to his knees and lifting his hands and saying, My Lord and my God. 
You see, Thomas recovered his faith fully. How do you know? Two ways. Number one, he made the highest confession in the gospel. He made the highest confession in the gospel. In John's gospel, people are saying lots of good things about Jesus, but none of them have gotten it completely right yet. Oh, who do you say that I am? Oh, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're, you're a teacher. Some say you're a great miracle worker. Some say that you're this. Some say that you're that. But the highest, greatest confession of all in John's gospel is this one. Thomas is the one who gets it right. He falls on his knees and says, I know who you are. You're Lord and you're God. And you're not just the Lord and the God. You're mine. You're my Lord and you're my God. He worships him. He receives him as his own master and as his own savior. Lord, help us. Even though Jesus offers him proof, he obviously doesn't take it. He falls to his feet and makes his confession. C.S. Lewis once said, many people want to claim that Jesus is just a good man or a great teacher of moral truth. The problem with that is Jesus himself has not left that option open to us. You don't have the option of just believing Jesus was a good man. Why not? Because Jesus claimed to be God. And a good man wouldn't claim to be God if it was a lie. Lewis summarizes it this way. You see, if Jesus isn't God, we've got a big problem with Jesus. Number one, he could be a liar. Say a liar. Because if he claims to be God and he knows he's not, then he's lying. And he's not a good man because good men don't lie. He's a bad man morally. Or there's another option. Jesus could be mistaken about his identity. But the last time I checked, if you think you're God and you're not, that's a mental disorder, right? Yeah. We've got a room waiting for you on the fifth floor. Yeah. You're a lunatic. You're crazy. And then you're a bad man mentally. I want to tell you, Lewis said he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's who he says he is. He's Lord. If Jesus is who he says he is, and he rose from the dead, then he is Lord and he's God. And here's the problem. If Jesus is God, that changes everything for those of us who sit in this room today. Because what it means is at the end of your life, you're going to appear before him. And God's given him the right to sit on the throne and judge the destiny of every man and every woman. And when it's all said and done, you're not going to stand in front of the preacher or your friends Or the judge downtown, you're going to appear in front of Jesus. The risen, glorified Christ, you're going to show up in front of him. And he's going to dispose of you one way or the other. It's either going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. Where will you land on that day? Thomas got it right. My Lord and my God, trust him today. The other way we know that was this. He did the greatest work. Say the greatest work. What did Thomas do? Here's what he did. Thomas went on to preach in Ethiopia, Central Africa, Persia. He ended up in India and preached the gospel in India. Finally, he gave his life there because he was winning so many Hindus to Jesus that the Brahmins stepped in and executed him so the gospel wouldn't spread any further. Let me ask you today, do you trust Jesus? Thomas certainly did. Are you wrestling with your doubts today? Let me urge you. Read some good books by men like Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, C.S. Lewis. Keep coming to God's house. If you hang around long enough, you'll have an encounter with the risen Christ. Not physically, but a true spiritual encounter nonetheless. He'll touch you and he'll speak to you. Finally, can I say this? Be honest about your doubt. 
Is it honest doubt or is it stubborn unbelief? Stand with me today. What do you mean? What do you mean is it honest doubt or is it stubborn unbelief? Here's the question. Some people are skeptical because they've got some tough questions that need to be answered. If that's you, wonderful. Come see me. We can put some good material in your hands that will help you answer those questions. But some of us need to be honest that that's really not the problem. Let me be honest with you today as I close this message. Most people that I know today, most of them, do not turn away from Jesus because they have skepticism about whether the gospel is true or not. Most people who reject Christ do so because they don't want it to be true. Because if it is true, then that means they're going to have to change the way they live their lives. It means they're going to be responsible for their sin. It means they're going to have to give an account to God one day. And they're hoping that isn't true, and they plan on living like it's not. Pastor, where, where do you get that from? Well, my experience is one place. Most of the people that I've met who say they don't believe the gospel, it's not that they have done their homework and decided they don't believe. Most of them, honestly, are too lazy to have done that. I hear people say, well, I don't believe the gospel is true. Really? Which of, have you read the four gospels? Well, no. Well, have you read one of the four gospels? Well, no, not really. Well, then I'm having a problem understanding how you disbelieve a book you've never read. Doesn't seem to me like you're qualified to make any commentary on the book at all if you haven't read it for yourself. Don't tell me you don't believe if you've never walked your way through the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Amen? I mean, really, sir, your, your opinion is based on nothing. Let me tell you why you don't believe if you've never studied for yourself. If you've never examined the claims of Christ, if you've just decided I don't buy this, let me tell you why you don't buy it. Maybe you listened to some arrogant college professor or read the rantings of someone on the internet and drank it down. But let me tell you why you did it. You don't want to believe the gospel. You don't want to believe that it's true. Jesus said it this way. This is the nation. Light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. If the gospel is true, we're in trouble if we don't believe it. And that's why people don't believe the gospel. <laughs> There's a God who will call my life into account one day. There is an absolute moral standard in his commandments, and my actions will be condemned. What I'm doing is not just untraditional, it is sinful. There really is only one way to escape God's judgment on sin. And that is through trusting, surrendering, believing in Jesus. It's not that we can't know the truth. It's that our fallen hearts don't like the truth, so we deny it and we suppress it. Our problem isn't our heads. Our problem is our hearts. Jeremiah said our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, incurably sick. Who can know them? Be honest today. Tell the truth. If you're not following Jesus, is it because you don't believe? Or is it because you don't want to change? 
Don't lie, you're in church. God knows the truth. And you know what? The reality is, you know the truth as well. You may play a good game. You may put up a good front. You may tell other people that the reason you don't believe is X, Y, or Z. Let's be honest today. Let's cut through all the hype and the lies. You don't believe because you don't want to have to deal with the reality that Jesus is the Son of God. And you don't want to have to change your life. You don't want to have to give up your sin today. If Jesus is true, then you've got to deal with that. You've got to come to him and repent of your sin and trust Christ. You've got to come and give your heart to him today. If you want to believe the gospel, there's good reason to believe the gospel. Pastor, how do I know if I'm an honest seeker or a stubborn, sinful unbeliever? Answer this question. Are you prepared to deal with the facts if Christ is who he claims to be? Are you prepared to deal with that? Are you willing to change if it's true? If you're not willing to change, then it's really not about whether it's true or not. It's about what you want. If you want to believe you've got the written testimony of reliable eyewitnesses and you've got 2,000 years of evidence where Jesus has changed life after life, heart after heart for year after year of the last two millennia. Today, if the Holy Spirit is shining God's light on your darkened heart, respond. Run to the light. Come and receive Jesus. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Take Jesus' invitation. Be not unbelieving, but believe. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, you know every heart and life in this room, and you know and you know the truth about us. Father, today I pray if there is someone in the room who's just wrestling with questions about the faith, that today, Lord, would be a day that they come and to get honest. Pastor, I'm stuck and I need some help. I need some good answers to some hard questions. And let someone help them get over the hurdle. But Father, I believe with all my heart there's some people in the room today who the problem is not they can't believe, it's that they won't believe. They're like Thomas. They've made up their mind that this thing isn't true and they're not willing to be persuaded. Father, today I pray that you'd convict their heart. I pray that, Jesus, they'd have an encounter with you that changes their mind. I pray today they'd feel the presence of your Spirit hovering close, touching them, speaking to them. I pray, God, you would do what I cannot do. I can speak to their ears, but, Lord, you can touch their hearts. Draw them up close to you. Let them be challenged by the message of Jesus today. And, Lord, let them make the hard decision that says, I believe it's true. And I am willing to repent of my sin. I'm willing to turn my back on my old life. And I'm willing to give my heart to Christ. And follow him the best I can as he teaches me and shows me how. Lord, let some heart today make up their mind. Make up their mind that they trust you, they believe you, and they're going to obey you. In Jesus' name and for his sake, God's people said. Right now, no one moving if you can help it. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open for you and someone would love to meet you here. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.